The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this morning for a presentation from Pastor Mark Perkins on the ministries that they have going on over in Tahiti. Uh, I will get us opened up this morning, and I will actually talk about our scripture of the week uh, before we get to his presentation. Uh, But given that we are going to be talking about the things of God, let's go ahead and take a moment for silent prayer to ensure that we are indeed rightly prepared for this information, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for your blessings and your mercies that are renewed day by day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here at the church together, the fellowship of the saints, what a blessing that is, the spiritual refreshment that we get from that. We thank you for the message that we're going to receive today. We pray that your hand of blessing would be upon that. We ask that you would help us to focus our attention on what it is that's being presented today, that we can set aside the daily distractions of life, and for at least this time we can have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, that we might understand what it is that is being done in the mission field, understand what your word is doing in people's lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start us off with a message, Scripture of the Week. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Let's all read it together. As you know, we uh, read this together in order to help us to remember. I was convicted, by the way, at the conference, uh, Pastor Jim Myers, which, by the way, first of all, I have to be real careful not to covet his voice. I wish I had a voice like Jim Myers uh, because I promise you when you start speaking like Jim Myers, people are going to listen because it sounds really important because of his voice. Uh, But I don't have that. But uh, I was convicted by him. He talked about being able to memorized scripture and he said uh, if I ask right now how many of you can tell me that you've memorized 50 verses uh, of scripture and he said I bet not many of you can raise your hand I was convicted to the core so uh, one of the things I'm going to try to do between now and the conference next year is I'm going to try to memorize scripture so I can raise my hand and say I can do it (laughs) I can do it because why because I want to win the prize well it depends on what prize you're talking about I want to have the word of God hidden in my heart I promise you right now the people of Ukraine that fled to other countries were thankful for the word of God that was hidden in their hearts as they had to flee from the country when it was under siege. Let's read Romans 10, 14 and 15 together. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, we've talked about this, and we just recently went back over this in our Romans review. Uh, This is a message about, obviously, the Word of God being heard, about people being able to believe. Now, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is an interesting context because... 
It's a message, as I uh, highlighted it in our study, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a discussion about Israel. And so it has a lot to do with Israel. But nonetheless, there's an underlying principle here about the gospel message and the need for that message to be proliferated. There needs to be people taking the message of the gospel out and preaching the things of the word of God. And beyond just the gospel, there need to be those who go out and share the message of God in its entirety, the whole council of God in its entirety, because ultimately you don't want people just to get saved. You want them to be disciples. And if someone's going to become a disciple of Christ, it goes way beyond just the salvation that they have through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a very important idea here. I'm not going to go into the normal detail that I would on a message like this because I want to give Pastor Mark as much time as possible. Uh, but I want you to think about this. There is a need for people to go out into the world and share the message. Now, I'll tell you this. That message needs to be shared right here in our country. We have a need to share the message right here because the fields are white for the harvest here. Uh, but th it's important to know uh, that individuals need to go out into the world to share the message of God's word. And uh, that segues me right into the, the introduction of Pastor Mark Perkins. You've heard me talk about him before. I met Pastor Mark at the Chafer Conferences. That's where we met. And uh, before he even knew who I was, because I'm not kidding about it. this is not this is not false humility. I'm relatively insignificant when it comes to those conferences because I'm just a, I'm just a pastor who kind of sits over on the side. And there's a whole bunch of people there that everybody has known each other for years and years and years and years. And I'm relatively new to the new to the group. So I'm kind of insignificant in a way. So before he even knew who I was, I knew who he was. And I knew he was the pastor at that time. He was the pastor of Front Range Bible Church in Denver, Colorado. And by the way, I told the story of that name for that church. I told that whole story here, uh, which is an interesting story, not this, not for this morning. But uh, he, was, he served. How many years were you there? 33 years at Front Range Bible Church in Denver, Colorado. And you also, some of you may have remembered, and, and we actually had, we were praying for quite some time regarding some health issues that Pastor Mark was going through. So you guys have heard about Pastor Mark Perkins for a long time, but you've never met him. And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity for him to speak this morning here at the church. He was called to the mission field. Uh, Pastor Mark and his wife Renee, they are now uh, missionaries in Tahiti, and there's a lot going on uh, with regard to that, and he has a lot to tell you with regard to that, but what I need to tell you about, I'm going to let him tell you about himself, but what I need to tell you is I have great respect for Pastor Mark Perkins. Before he ever even knew who I was, I had great respect for him, and uh, I appreciated all that he was doing at that church. You also served on the board as part of Chafer Seminary, and so there were many things uh, that he had done to earn my respect and one of the things I never told him I'm telling him for the first time right now in front of all of you is that when I heard him speak at the conferences I knew that if God wanted me to be there I could sit under Pastor Mark Perkins he could be my pastor because I felt I felt not only the leadership and the ability for him to teach but I, I could sense the love of Christ in Pastor Mark and that meant a lot to me so I could I could have been uh, one of the people sitting at one of the tables at Pastor Mark's church and being blessed by his message. Please come up and bless us with a message this morning. I think I'm live now. Okay. 
Thank you for those kind words, Cliff. And uh, listening this morning to you for the first time, I have that same kind of respect. And uh, that's very humbling, and it sets the bar really high. And so uh, let's talk about Evanelia Tahiti. Evanelia is the Tahitian word for gospel. And like a lot of Tahitian words, it's spelled one way and pronounced another way. And it's really Evanaria because they don't have an L in their language. So let's, let's not get into too many details there. But uh, this is who we are. So Yarana, it means hello from Tahiti. And you can see on our map here that uh, Tahiti and French Polynesia are located right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, 17 degrees south of the equator, 118 islands forms French Polynesia. So I have this video that I would like to play. And uh, there we go. One minute video. a thousand words or something like that. Um, Let me state succinctly the challenge. Uh, The majority of people in French Polynesia are Christians in name only. Uh, The nation will say that they're 97% Christian, but C-I-N-O, Christians in name only. Many are cult followers like Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, and Seventh-day Adventists. A third are Roman Catholics, and a very few, very few, are Bible-believing Christians. Uh, Sounds like America, just a little bit. Uh, But we have more cult followers in French Polynesia by percentage, about twice as many as here. Uh, The Tahitian Bible was a poor translation to begin with, It is now 170 years old, and at the same time, the Tahitian language has changed by 60% since that translation was made. Uh, In addition, there are six other small island dialects without a Bible at all. Furthermore, this nation is an empty spot on the missionary map, uh, with very few who have a clear understanding of the gospel. Uh, we hear all the time, uh, you, uh, you're not saved unless you've been water baptized, not saved unless you speak in tongues, uh, not saved this, not saved that, uh, not saved unless you persevere, uh, all the usual things. 
And addition to that, there's no expository Bible teaching and not a single person who understands the rudiments of hermeneutical method. And so uh, uh, that's a bold statement, that final statement. Uh, Let me just say we haven't found them yet. Uh, It's possible that someone like that could know how to interpret the Bible. We just don't know them. And in a small nation like this with 300,000 citizens, uh, you'd think we'd run into them by now. So um, that's still part of the problem. And in short, they're one of the most spiritually impoverished nations on the planet. Uh, So I like to say there are less than 300,000 people in French Polynesia uh, scattered over an ocean area the size of Europe with a land mass the size of Rhode Island. So this uh, this is what we're looking at. 118 islands, smush them together, you've got Rhode Island. And so they're scattered. There's challenges to the geography as well. Uh, The population is Lubbock, Texas, same as Lubbock, Texas. And so my initial goal was if we could train a dozen pastors uh, to, uh, to be scholars, to be great students of the Word of God, regularly preaching in their churches, well, imagine what that might do to Lubbock. And so we want to do that in French Polynesia. So our mission is to aid the Polynesian people. You notice I don't say French Polynesian. I don't say Tahitian because Tahiti is an island, one of 118 islands in the country. And I don't say French Polynesia uh, because the people there correct me all the time. Just call us Polynesians, please. Uh, They're in French denial. And uh, I kind of don't blame them. So uh, all my life, as a good American, I made fun of the French. And then I, I'm adopted. I found out I'm one quarter French. <laughs> French Canadian. So it, that's a little better anyway. And here I am in a, a French-speaking country preaching in French. Uh, and uh, they don't want to be French. So it's a perfect scenario for me. <laughs> Uh, our mission is to train indigenous pastors and ministry workers who are already in place. It's not our goal to plant a church. Uh, it's our plant to work within uh, the current structure. If a church plant happens, it happens, but that's not what we're seeking. Uh, we're seeking to train pastors in place. And third, to train everyone to present a clear message of the gospel be talking about that more in just a moment, but everyone that we meet, uh, we do talk about faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for your sins and rose from the dead. You believe in him, you are forgiven of your sins and granted the gift of eternal life. Okay, and, and, and then we put a period there. Right there, okay? And uh, we've, we've already had an impact in this regard. Encourage pastors and teachers to go as far in biblical education as possible. Uh, this has some inherent challenges in that the, uh, the 
French education system has failed uh, the people of French Polynesia uh, so that it's typical uh, off the island of Tahiti for someone to drop out in primary school in third or fourth grade. Uh, uh, way, way over half of the young people drop out while they're third grade, fourth grade. They don't see the point. So then we want to bring university-level education to these people. You can see where uh, we want to educate up, and the Lord has opened some doors for us there. We want to uh, do adult education as well, as well if that's necessary, uh, but we are well-equipped to do that. So for pastor training, uh, this is not in Tahiti, but uh, the Lord opened a door for us to go in August to the College of Theology and Evangelism in Fiji. And the reason that I, I want this opportunity and to teach there for a couple of weeks is that they have a, a model very much like Jim Meyer's model in U- Ukraine and one that we want to imitate in establishing our own Bible Institute in Tahiti. And so I, I love hearing their journey because they deal with Pacific Islander people and their culture, and so it's invaluable to continue the conversation with them. Uh, also, we have the opportunity for accredited Bible college education through Colorado Biblical University, and so this is a, a, a BA through uh, master uh, or a doctor of education model uh, or university in Colorado, and I happen to be the chairman of the board of that university, so we're pretty well connected there. And um, we absolutely would connect them to Chafer. Our current challenge is uh, putting French subtitles, and even at one point, would love to put Tahitian subtitles on all of our courses because English is not well known there. Uh, We are developing digital and print libraries in both French and Tahitian. Uh, I think there are uh, like two Bible resources in the Tahitian language. And, um, you know, we have a whole French of all of the great, or a whole shelf of all the great theological resources in French. So, uh, and growing digital library as well through Lagos. Uh, the Tahitian Bible now works on Lagos side by side with other resources, and this is key for pastoral education. And so uh, uh, we have worked on that project for quite some time. So a few photos. Here is Punari and his dad, and every Monday morning we get together with those two. Uh, He's got a guitar, but we actually study the Bible. And uh, right now we're working on Stranger on the Road to Emmaus in French. And after that's done, I think we'll be doing some Disciple Makers Multiplied uh, uh, modules as well. So uh, moving forward with him. A really fine young man, and we sit around the table and read these things out loud in French. Uh, We have a Bible translation uh, project going on. Uh, In order to study the Bible, you need a good Bible. And so we are working on that, a new translation of the Tahitian Bible, the first in 170 years, and the first ever from the original languages of Scripture That 170-year-old translation was translated from the King James. And we're talking about the thee and thou King James. 
And so uh, we are happy to provide this this resource. Uh, we have we have worked and done the initial uh, uh, study and formatting of the Gospel of John, and we hope to present that. I pray for this. Later this year, I would like to have this project completed in print and in digital form on our website, our website and others, and in audio form. We happen to know a Tahitian pop star. Uh, we went to his concert, and all the young ladies were swooning, you know, in the front row. It was so great. And he's a friend of ours. He's a good Christian man. And we want him to be the voice of the Tahitian Bible. And uh, it's not for certain this will happen, but if it does, uh, I'm pretty sure that every female in French Polynesia will listen to the Gospel of John. And and you think, well, you know, uh, that's kind of illicit uh, motives and all that. Well, uh, yeah, but uh, we'll let the Holy Spirit do what he does with the text of the Bible. Uh, but anyway, that's our idea. Pray if it's the Lord's will that we get that done. Uh, and then we have these languages. Marquesan has a New Testament that was translated by the Catholics with uh, the expected liabilities of that translation. Uh, Palmotuan, Rurutan, Revavayan, Rapan, and Mangarevan. These are the uh, island dialects that have never had a Bible. And, of course, that's always impactful. Um, so here's our translation team, hard at work. Uh, normally you would see the table filled with food, but we clear the food off and get right to work on the translation. Uh, so it goes French, Tahitian, English, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. You've got all these languages flying around the table, and uh, it's an awful lot of fun. Child evangelism. So we cooperate with and support Operation Christmas Child from Samaritan's Purse, uh, which you may know as the shoebox ministry. And so uh, uh, we were at the initial planning meeting. Uh, it happened while we were on a short-term mission trip. It just happened to be while we were there. So we went to the meeting and the prayer launch of that. And then after that, uh, we arrived at the island full-time, and a month later, nine shipping containers with 63,000 shoeboxes arrived. They needed people to unload those, so we helped. And this connected us to so many people. And then uh, Renee and I, and especially Renee, were at the uh, initial launch in the nation uh, in our little town of Papara on the island of Tahiti. That was the initial launch. I think we had 60-some children around there uh, who heard the gospel uh, through that presentation. It's a really good, clean gospel, by the way. Uh, they do a pretty good job with it. Uh, I would say I would uh, make a few perfections uh, along the way, but uh, it's certainly something that's not com uh, going to confuse children. And so... Um, then I traveled to the island of Rurutu, where uh, that was the island launch for that. And we both, again, traveled to the island of Reatea, and we were at the island launch for that. And so uh, we were directly involved in those. We aren't the ones who share the gospel in French or T Tahitian, but we're certainly there holding up posters, uh, part of the prayer team, 
And uh, I did the video and pictures for the one on Reatea. Uh, we're currently authorized, uh, and this is God's miracle, uh, to teach the 12-lesson follow-up program. Uh, and so Renee and I are allowed to do this, and it gives us a potential uh, to, to teach thousands of children. I say the potential uh, because it will be uh, uh, 10, 12, 15, 18 children at a time. Uh, but uh, the gospel has been shared with about 7,000 children so far. And so uh, uh, many of those have not had the 12-lesson follow-up. And it's a pretty good uh, little follow-up program. Here we were on the island of Reatea in the town of Tumara'a, uh, and there were 450 children at the event and over 1,400 total uh, with two other events heard the gospel on that day. Now that's just children. Uh, alongside there are usually 40 or 50 or more parents and workers. Uh, the great thing about this is um, uh, Romans 13, 1 to 7, kind of a perfect lesson. So France has a strict law regarding secularizing uh, religion, and they don't allow the public or the government to be involved in religious activities. The mayors of French Polynesia are organizing these events busing in children, using uh, the, uh, the public buildings as the, uh, the rain shelter for uh, these events. And you're like, wait a minute, are they breaking the law? You know, you know uh, the, um, there is an asterisk to the French secularist uh, law that they're using, and they haven't been challenged on it yet. And so thousands of children are hearing the gospel uh, after being organized by the mayors of French Polynesia. And so it's, it's pretty cool what's happening. And I don't think the French are going to challenge this, by the way, uh, because they're skating on thin ice right now with the Tahitian people. So uh, kind of an amazing thing there, uh, the, the way the Lord worked it out so that so many children can hear the gospel. Uh, we're developing Tahitian language tools for English speakers. So if you would like to be a full-time missionary in French Polynesia, uh, this is what you would use. Contact me. Uh, it's important to learn the language, right? Uh, you can get away with French, and I speak French, and Renee uh, knows how to say hello in French, and uh, where's my breakfast, or, you know, those kind of important things. Uh, but um, uh, I developed these because... Uh, we're 62 years old, and we figure we got another 20 years in in the uh, in the country. And I, in my quote-unquote spare time, I developed these language tools so that someone from America could do this. Uh, by the way, the Mormons have these tools, but they don't share. So uh, anyway, just uh, took time, and you could uh, develop a, a a a working knowledge of Tahitian. That would get you there so you could acquire the language by immersion. So um, talk to me about this if, if you're ready to do this. So, and finally, we have our wonderful 
English clubs. And after Operation Christmas Child, with 15 children in our own yard, uh, we uh, wanted to continue uh, being in the lives of these children. And so we thought, well, we'll just start an English club. Um, it turned out pretty cool. And so we have, uh, I think, between the two 16 to 18, we have two neighborhood English clubs, 16 to 18 children. We look at these children uh, not as they are at, at 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 years old, but instead as they are 15 years from now uh, leading the churches of French Polynesia. And so that's, that's how we look at them. But we meet every Wednesday and Friday. We teach English to children ages 5 to 14, and every English lesson includes a Bible lesson. And so we're working our way through uh, the Old Testament. Uh, here is uh, we just have four kids in Pointe-en-Rique, and this is it. Uh, these are them, uh, Aritu, Ayavana, uh, Tomatagi, and Teora. And then in Katia Luki, uh, you see a few kids here, but typically we'll have 8 through 12. Uh, when we had our Bible camp recently, we had 18 at the Bible camp. Uh, there at uh, Katia Luki, uh, the uh, president of the Neighborhood Association, uh, it's a Christian man, and he's decided that what we're doing is really cool. And so he advertises everywhere for us, sticks up flyers on our neighborhood bulletin board, and has promoted us tirelessly. And uh, a good guy. So uh, we took those English clubs, and there was a school vacation coming up, and we made them into a Bible camp, Rachel Musser and Amber Walker, uh, American school teachers came, helped us with a ton of stuff, and did the Bible camp. So we also have, uh, I call it a women's Bible study, but somehow men always tend to show up, at least one or two, and uh, it's all good. Uh, but uh, we have a, a women's Bible study on Morea, and uh, typically we'll have three or four women working through women of the word from Disciple Makers Multiplied. And one of those uh, ladies, the one that you see at the right of the screen, her name is Magali, and she's uh, starting to show some leadership, and uh, we like that. So she organizes for us. It's held at her little house on her terrace there. So we have some developing uh, ministries, uh, Bible Institute development, very similar to Slobobozhia in Kiev, and we believe this is coming very soon. So we hope to have an independent Bible Institute. Uh, sports ministries, uh, including volleyball, soccer, basketball, and my favorite, wiffle ball. So we are trying to um, uh, bring baseball to the islands. Uh, women's ministries, there's a team coming in April from Village Ministries. Please pray for this. Uh, we are trying to develop as many venues as possible for this two-week ministry and uh, to get, uh, have as many Tahitian women come and join us for that. And we uh, please pray that the Lord would move and motivate uh, as many as possible to come hear the gospel and some other crucial doctrines. So women's ministries, and uh, you're always welcome to join us for short-term missions 
uh, whether you're friends, uh, whether you're a church, whether you're a Bible college, whatever it is, we've already had a number of them uh, come and join uh, alongside of us. It's been great. It's refreshing to us. Uh, we get to speak English a little bit, and that's kind of nice. And uh, so, uh, anyway, there's always time for a little wiffle ball. You can see that uh, we're uh, um, uh, doing more than the gospel. We're bringing baseball to French Polynesia. And uh, finally, ara ua e. See you later. And this is our contact. So I encourage you. Uh, to uh, jump on our newsletter. Uh, Cliff, I believe you get our newsletter, and uh, if not, we'll make that happen. Okay, okay. And uh, we would love for you to get our newsletter, and we deeply appreciate your prayers and partnership. Uh, We get a newsletter out uh, once a month or so. We have a website, evanalia.org. And uh, there, you, there we share videos, photos, stories of ministry, and, and so on, what you, uh, we can't uh, include in the newsletter. So with that, I would love to share the word. I may need some direction yeah, on how I'm to gonna, get to the second PowerPoint. I'm going to help you get that set up. Yeah. So two things. Um, and, and while we're doing this, let's get some questions. Yeah, for sure. Any questions? There's got to be at least one. There you go. So, yes, we, we have visited four islands uh, in ministry, uh, from 12-square-mile island, really small, to uh, quite a bit bigger like Reatea and Morea. And how do you vote between islands? Uh, boat and plane. It depends. Um, uh, Rurutu is a 90-minute plane ride. Reatea is about a 45-minute plane ride. Morea is a half-hour ferry ride. It's 12 miles from Tahiti. And so it depends. And when you get further out, you fly to the island, little island airstrip uh, on, your, on your puddle jumper, and then you, you ride a boat for hours out to the smaller islands. So it depends. Yeah. Any other questions? If you think of, if you think of them as, as it goes on, there will be time to ask the questions. Um, a couple things I was going to say. First of all, we participate in the shoebox ministry every year. That's a, that's a ministry here at this local church, and we have some people here that just do an unbelievable job of getting all that together. And, we, and we, as a little small church, we put together quite more boxes than I would have imagined. You know, it's wow. amazing. Um, but then on top of that, I also wanted to talk about, you to talk about, so Evanelia is, is that local, but you kind of are under the umbrella of VMI, right? I mean, we support, yes. we support yes. Village Ministries International uh, monthly. Mm-hmm. And so you're under that umbrella, and that we was are. something I was unaware of until the conference. I was unaware okay. that you were in that. So that's a that's kind of a uh, I don't know how you present it, but they do a lot of administrative things for you and whatnot, right? They they uh, accept donations on our behalf and administrate for us and do some communications for us as well. But I'll tell you the best thing about Village Ministries is that I will just call up Dan Hawkins and say, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Here's an issue we have right now. What we get from them is wisdom, yeah. and, and they're fantastic. And missionary wisdom. We're newbie missionaries, right? So um, we know our field really well, but uh, generally speaking, uh, the conversations we have are great. Yes? 
Of course. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only the Lord, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously, but uh, more specifically. So um, at about year 28, I got leukemia, okay, acute myeloid leukemia. Uh, it was a really near-run thing. And, you know, our church had to uh, put on the brakes and say, what happens if our pastor dies, you know? They had this conversation behind my back, of course, uh, very sensitive of them. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good discussion. And so they put, you know, procedures in place. If this happens, this is, you know, what we'll do. And so it's a very healthy thing to, to be aware of that. And then I, I, w- I have been thinking about the mission field since 2005, the first time I went with Jim Myers to Ukraine. I went seven times to Ukraine, and the Lord just, I really felt like I was uh, wired to be a missionary, let's put it that way. And so, but it wasn't the right time uh, for our family or for our church. And uh, with this leukemia thing, uh, I relapsed a year later, had to go through the whole deal again, uh, had a bone marrow transplant, that was a near-run thing, and uh, all that, so... Uh, anyway, surviving all that, in 2016, uh, our daughter and I went to Tahiti on just a father-daughter trip. And I looked around at the cults and thought, the reason that the cults are so prevalent is that the Bible is so weak. And I found out they were one of the most spiritually impoverished places on planet Earth, despite calling themselves Christian. And so everything else is Good Samaritan. Okay, 100% good Samaritan, divine leadership. Uh, there was no vision in the sky, uh, nothing like that. And everybody thinks they're led to Tahiti to be missionaries, you know. <laughs> and so, and believe me, we hear, we hear about that. Uh, but Tahiti is a notorious missionary graveyard. People uh, go, get discouraged, and go home. And so... Um, for, for us, uh, we're very encouraged, by the way, but uh, for us, it's a Good Samaritan thing. Here's this empty spot. I feel like I'm uniquely qualified uh, to do this kind of ministry, to pioneer a mission field, so to speak, and, and bring Bible teaching, clear gospel presentation, and so on. So we prayed about it. Uh, we went on short-term mission trips, developed contacts, uh, we were discouraged. We weren't sure I was going to live. Uh, we were discouraged by the field and then encouraged enough to go. And so, you know, there are always ups and downs in a startup situation, but that's what got us there. And if you ask me, we're good Samaritans, okay? Yeah. Did uh, in that process going through the, the leukemia and whatnot, at that point, did did you have to go through the process of finding somebody else who could take the pulpit? Or how did that go in terms of the person? Yeah, so there were, there were two men in our church who were capable of teaching, and they filled in capably. Uh, and uh, along with that, as we made the determination to be good Samaritans and go down there to Tahiti, we'd set up a pastor search committee, and we could not go unless there was a great guy to take over. We just weren't going to do that. Uh, you know, it's not God's will. 
And so uh, the Lord brought us an incredible young man. And so uh, that, and then it is God's will, and so that's that's where we're at. So uh, at our peak, about a hundred. When we left, maybe twenty-five, and and so you know we just had kind of natural attrition uh, over a decade, and um, if you notice, Colorado is kind of burying itself and uh, doing the DIE process. Yeah. So, um, I like that uh, acronym better. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. So, uh, anyway, it, you know, we left a church of about 25. They immediately, uh, or not immediately, but soon after, merged with another like minded church. Our Jacob became the pastor of the whole group, and, and they're doing really well now. Yeah, yeah, so they're growing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cliff asked if I could share from the scriptures. So that's the next, uh, I think we have three and a half minutes or something. So uh, 20, something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's doable. Okay. Some thoughts on the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Gethsemane means olive press. So I've called this Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' torment and the olive press. And so a picture uh, paints a thousand words, and I think this one says a lot. So I uh, joined together uh, John, Luke, and Matthew. Ma- uh, Mark also contributes uniquely to the narrative of the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so what, what you see here highlighted is uh, the work of three Gospels, um, When Jesus spoke these things, he went out together with his disciples according to custom toward the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. They went across the Wadi Kidron, where there was a garden called Gethsemane, into which he and his disciples entered. So at this very moment, Jesus is being tempted. And I know we're very familiar with the temptation of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, where he received the three temptations from Satan. And we love to observe how from his humanity he answered those temptations with Scripture. Okay, we love to observe that. And this is... An interesting, um, interesting time of temptation because I believe that this was heavier than that. Now, uh, you, you know, being without food for 40 days, I get that's a heavy temptation. I go 40 minutes and I need food. So, I, you know, I get that. But um, uh, I think that this is far heavier. And so, uh, first of all, they went out from Jerusalem. So going out means they passed through one of the gates and went out the wall, and now they are outside of Jerusalem, and this is part of the temptation. Second, they go toward the Mount of Olives, and it says also according uh, to custom. So this is what they've been doing all week. They headquartered in Bethany, uh, just over the top of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from Jerusalem, so they would go down into that wadi and come out the other side, go over the Mount of Olives, 
and to the town of Bethany. And so they went toward the Mount of Olives. And as they're going down that very steep set of switchbacks into the Wadi and out a little more gradual the other side toward the Mount of Olives, they're going away from Jerusalem. They have crossed the Wadi Kidron. Cliff. Yeah, will you explain the wadi to the idea? So I'm sorry, I'm using Middle Eastern language. Uh, It's a little crick. Does that work? Uh, Let me speak. Uh, Let me draw on my Texan. It's a crick. Okay. So uh, anyway, a little. And wadi means it's seasonal. So it's a seasonal brook or or creek. So uh, anyway, yes, I'm I'm semi-fluent in Texan. I married one. So. Uh, and let me ask a question because I think this is a kind of a big deal and we'll speak to what we observe from the text in a moment. But where's the arrest mob uh, led by Judas? Where are they at the moment? They're back up on the hill in Jerusalem. So they are outside the wall. They've already gone down one side and they got the other. You know, if you can picture all the good Westerns, they're ahead of the posse. Okay. And so here's this arrest mob behind them, and and they're going up. And I think the temptation for Jesus is just to keep going. And, uh, you you know, he won't be arrested. He won't be tortured. He knows well what he faces. Uh, He knows that the real torture isn't the physical torture of crucifixion, but the, the separation because of sin in his own body from God the Father. And so uh, I imagine this, and maybe I'm putting my own self into this scenario, but the temptation is to keep going. And I'd say I put my own self into that. Well, he's been tempted in all ways, as we are, and yet without sin. And so I imagine myself thinking, man, I could just blow this off. Well, let's see uh, how this all goes. So the direction of safety is east. Direction of safety is down across that creek and up the other side and over the Mount of Olives and to Bethany and beyond Bethany to wherever you might want to go. And so here is a map of uh, Jerusalem and you see that uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is outside the walls across the, uh, across the brook there and that's uh, where uh, archaeologists have kind of reconstructed the idea of where it might be, and I think it's it could be anywhere in that general area of the circle or the ellipse that you see there. So here it is at night, and you're looking toward the temple. So I like this uh, this painting by Robert Boyd, and uh, it just gives you a sense of the full moon at that moment, and they're looking back across in that direction. So then we get the mental state of Jesus in Gethsemane, and we're reconstructing from Matthew and uh, Mark. Uh, we won't reconstruct from Luke just yet, but uh, here we, we have in Matthew 26:37, and one word added from Mark 14. So after taking alongside Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be astounded grieved and dismayed. So these are the three descriptions, the three verbs that describe the mental state of Jesus. Now I want you to remember, 
that he he turns off and it says into the garden. Uh, the modern garden of Gethsemane has a wall around it. Uh, we don't have any description of what it looked like at that time, but he says into, so it's inside uh, the territory of the garden. It may have a wall around it with a single entrance. And if you uh, can uh, picture uh, um, an area of about 10,000 to 15,000 square feet, you have the area of that garden, so smaller than this lot here. I think, is uh, is where they were and the size of that. But he goes into the garden. And then uh, here's Jesus, and there are 11 with him. And they come in, and they're just inside the, the boundaries and maybe the walls of the garden. And then he he detaches Peter, James, and John to go with him further into the garden. So... I have this in mind that um, Jesus brings his closest friends to be with him in this hour of need. Uh, first the eleven, and then the three, and then he goes off by himself. But if you turn around, if you if you think of Jesus coming up this way into the garden from the entrance back there, there's the eight in the back and then three about here, and then Jesus is here. And to exit the garden, he has to go through all of his friends. And I think about that. Uh, he's going to die for them in a few hours. And he is going to die uh, for men on the, on the most important moment of his, of his ministry were arguing about who's the greatest and men who were about to deny him, not just Peter. Peter gets, uh, gets the rap, but all 11 denied him, all 11. And they're all about to deny him, but he's about to die for them because they're going to be the heroes. They are going to form his church, and they are going to launch what comes down through history to this morning in Bastrop, Texas. And that's what they're going to do. I think they were successful. But he had to die for them. And it was a hard thing to do. And we know this because he was astounded, grieved, and dismayed. So the mental state of Jesus in Gethsemane is as followed. And I think it's entirely appropriate that it's called the Olive Press. Because he is in the in the olive press of history, at the time of greatest pre, uh, pressure, stress of all time in all of history, here is the moment. So he is astounded, and uh, astounded doesn't mean wow, I'm really surprised this is happening, but uh, I think he just felt the weight of history. He had a sense of awe to be at the crucial moment. Of history, he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what was going to happen in the ensuing hours, and he knew that he was at the crossroads of history. And from time to time, you feel this. You feel this at the birth of a child. You just feel astounded at this moment. You feel this. Uh, I remember well when I took the uh, uh, oath of allegiance. Uh, 
when I became a soldier in the United States Army. I, I felt the weight of history on me, and I was very moved by that moment. And I think that Jesus is moved like no other because it, the moment is here and the moment is him. And so he is just absolutely in awe of what's going to happen. And second, he's grieved. And Jesus knew that he would be utterly changed by this, that his separation from the Father was upon him. And he knew what it meant, but he didn't know it experientially yet. Uh, He could not know what that was going to be like as a human being until it actually happened. But he was grieved, and he knew that it meant that his people had rejected him. And he knew that it meant that he was going to be utterly separated from the fellowship with the Father that he had known from eternity. And uh, uh, honestly, the, the deity side is still with the Father. It's not a disconnect there. But as, as humanity in a state of emptying, of kenosis, he knew that all his life as a human being, all of his decades, he knew. And he knew that that was going to be broken. He knew that the weight of sin would be upon him. And I, I wonder if uh, someone else has sinned against you and caused you to grieve. Uh, perhaps you know that as uh, if you've ever loved someone, sooner or later you're going to feel that. Well, Jesus felt it for all of humanity. And so he is grieved. And third, he is dismayed. And this is interesting because a state of dismay is a state of utter helplessness. And of the three verbs here, I really appreciate this one the most because he knew that his humanity was not enough to meet the challenge of this hour. It is the moment in his life of utter grace orientation. He's dismayed. It means he's conscious that as a human being, he's like the rest of us. Have you ever met up with something that was too big for you and fell flat on your face before the Lord and say, said something like, uh, uh, I got nothing? Well, Jesus had to live as a human being. And as a human being, he was in a state of dismay. I don't see this as a sin at all because we know that he was tempted and without sin. He was dismayed but not discouraged. But dismay brings you to the point where you realize that you simply have to rely on God for it all. And Jesus Christ had to do that in this moment. So it's the finest hour of Jesus' kenosis, of his emptying. And although he had operated as a human being, though fully God, throughout his life here in this garden is the greatest pressure to do otherwise. And he must not do otherwise. Like the temptations in the wilderness where he's tempted to use his deity, uh, here I imagine uh, these are similar temptations. So, greatest pressure to do otherwise. He declares his mental state to the small group and commands them to remain close. 
Jesus says to them, My soul is deeply grieved unto death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He requests the accompaniment of his friends in a time of dire trial. Um, There are times when you just can't do it alone. And you need the accompaniment of those who are close to you. You know, he chose to become human. And I I note Psalm 40, verses 6 through 9. uh, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I proclaim the good news of righteousness and the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I delight to do your will. What memorable prayer did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours. Well, when uh, did this occasion happen? Uh, Hebrews 10.5 clarifies that psalm, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. This was at the moment he came into the world, he said, I delight to do your will. So uh, Psalm 40, clarified by Hebrews chapter 10, is kind of the Christmas Eve psalm. I delight to do your will. Uh, So I find it interesting that right when he's ready to enter the world, he says, I delight to do your will. And right when he's ready to uh, fulfill that will, he says, not my will, but yours. He chose to become human. And, of course, we have Philippians 2, 5 through 7. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He made that choice. And so, you know the character of Christ is our example, right? That we are to be like him. We are to imitate him insofar as we can by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of the word. We are to be imitators of Christ. Uh, as Paul simply says in Colossians 2, 6, walk in him. And I just think that Gethsemane is a great example for us of how to walk. We'll see that in a moment. Uh, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12:2, the, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look unto Jesus. In that moment, he saw joy set before him, even as he agonized. So he was made like us in Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Uh, he's been, he has suffered, he was tempted, and he's able to help us who are tempted. Right? 
You don't have to raise your hand. Anyone here been tempted lately? Oh, no. Okay. Me neither. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore become, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does it mean to come boldly before the throne of grace? Pray. To submit yourself in prayer. Well, the example of the Garden of Gethsemane differs from the example of the wilderness temptation of Christ where you really don't have uh, Jesus saying this scripture and that scripture and that scripture. And, And the wilderness temptation is a fantastic example. But I would say to you, So is the Garden of Gethsemane. So, number one, Jesus safeguards himself from temptation by uh, um, positioning his disciples between himself and the exit to the garden. And I I just, I kind of appreciate this. You got to go through the three. uh, See you guys later. You got to go through the eight. You got to go out. You got to turn right. You got to go up the hill and over. And Use your deity to escape in whatever way that you can. So he could escape humanly. He could escape, and by the way, by his deity, he could vanquish his foes. And there's two ways he could solve that problem of being arrested. He prays a prayer of reflection on his personal mental condition. Uh, He is willing to say, God, I am I am really burdened at this moment. And he tells of course God already knows. But it's part of our faithfulness and our duty to report our state to him. It is helpful to us and he does this. He reflects on his personal mental condition. Uh, third he's cognizant of his limitations. He was dismayed. And he's cognizant of his limitations as a human being. Jesus Christ, in a state of kenosis, emptied himself. Emptied himself. And lived as a human being. And within the limitations of humanity, so that he could be our example. Otherwise, what kind of an example is it when he could just say, "Ah, I'll just use my deity. You know, we can't do that. He chose not to do that. Either, So he's cognizant of his limitations. Uh, he requests the nearness of his friends. Now, uh, I, I just want to advise you, don't be a spiritual superstar. Don't be afraid to have your friends around you. Uh, we have this culture of self-reliant uh, heroism, right? But he requests the nearness of of his friends. Hey, y'all. Man, I got some heavy stuff on me right now. Pray for me. Oh, just be with me. Be around me. Nothing wrong with that. Come over to the house. I need you here. He requests the nearness of his friends. He prays a prayer of surrender. Not my will, but thine. And I suggest that this is a good prayer to pray. Not my will, but yours, Lord. 
not my will, but yours. And finally, he somehow still has some personal resources to encourage and admonish his disciples. Uh, he, I marvel at our Savior, uh, truly the greatest man of all time, that in the moment of his, uh, person, the heaviest moment of all time is on him, and he still thinks of his disciples and encourages and he admonishes them. So that's what I have to share with you this morning. And what do we do now, Cliff? If you'd like to, go ahead and close us in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, your Son uh, bore the greatest burden of all time, and, and he did it by complete submission to you. Um, he was humble, and you give grace to the humble. And you gr- gave grace to him to endure and persevere through that hour, loving his disciples to the end, loving us to the end, and paying for our sins. Lord, uh, let us not be ashamed to call on our friends to pray and submit to you and all the rest that we need to get through our heavy hours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.